What's going on, everybody? We are live on Instagram and Facebook, and we are starting another episode of the Core Console RX Podcast, and it's a weird episode today because my buddy, founder, co-host is not with us. Cole Swanson had to be husband today, uh, fiance, and do wedding prep. So it's his, weird. In his stead, it's weird. Blake Roach. Here I am, yet again. Yet I'm no Cole. I'm no Cole. You know, I haven't been doing it quite as long, but I've I've kind of made an appearance here and there. But uh, you know, big big shoes to fill as far as keeping the show rolling. So we'll see how this goes. Well, we'll do him proud. And we are also joined by a couple of uh, healthcare professionals here, the MD PharmD power couple. Uh, y'all introduce yourselves. So I am Marissa, and I am a P3 at MUSC. And I am Russ. Uh, I'm an emergency medicine attending in a community place. Awesome. Yeah. So give me the uh, the origin story. How did you guys kind of meet? How did you uh, kind of get into roles currently? Can we go back that far? Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. go for it. You want to go? You want to start? All right. So we're both uh, from Alabama, uh, but we live in South Carolina now. Um, we grew up in a very small town in uh, just outside of Birmingham, a place called Gardendale. Um, not many people there. Went to like a really small church. Um, I went to Alabama. She went to Auburn, um, and then we kind of reconnected like after um, uh, after I moved uh, back to Birmingham for med school. Okay. So. Um, so did you? Was med school always kind of your plan? Was that? Yeah, I think so. When I when I was young, uh, my dad's a CPA, and I always wanted to be a CPA. Um, and then I went and like shadowed him one afternoon i was like okay i'm never coming back to this place ever again so i just needed a little bit more action and uh, a little bit more so right on yeah. so uh marissa what about you does uh i i've known a little i've known you for a little bit so um you know i kind of know your backstory a little bit but tell us like what made you choose the farm d route versus the md because you're smart smart girl so which way uh right. what made you which made you uh pick the route you're on um, so I had no freaking clue what I wanted to do in school, and I was in high school, sorry, in high school, um, my junior year, and like ran into this girl in the hallway, super random, didn't really know her at all. She was like, hey, like saw your picture, you um, visited Auburn, and I was like, yeah, is that where you're going to go? Yeah, I think so. What are you going to do? And like, I didn't know, so out of a sheer panic, I was like, I want to go to pharmacy school, and she was just like, oh, like, that's really cool. My dad um, owns this independent pharmacy, and you should go check it out. Um, so I did. I just went and kind of said hi and was like, I think I want to go to pharmacy school. Like, I was I was committed at this point. I was, like, on the train. So I just, like, kind of went for it. And they were like, you know, we really need to hire a technician. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> so I, like, fell into this job and um, just through working uh, for them for about a year and then switching over um, to a, a larger chain pharmacy my senior year. It just kept going. <laughs> just never turned back. Whatever so. she randomly shouted at that moment was what she wanted to be. That's probably. the best yeah. way to make yeah. life decisions. Yeah, I mean, one hundred percent the best way. Uh, yeah, Absolutely that that's, that's actually super impressive. <laughs> just boom, I'm gonna be this now. That's it's how awesome. You, it's how you make decisions when you're ordering at a restaurant, and it's yeah. how you choose yeah. your life path. Exactly. Same thing. Shrimp wonton, pharmacy school. It's all the same thing. <laughs> boom, I love it. Well, um, you know what? What's your plans kind of going after? pharmacy school are you looking clinical route are you gonna stick with retail or chain or whatever good question I don't I don't know I'm super um, conflicted at this point because I took an elective last semester with Dr. Gaskins and really um, enjoyed the vet side of things and like the vet perspective or whatever Um, 
so I don't know. I would love to like continue to look into the vet side of things, but I've also been super interested in nuclear for a while. So I don't know. We'll see. Nuclear. That'd be pretty cool. So, we'll see. so any chance like you guys are going to team up in the future and do a, uh, uh, some sort of a collaboration MTM practice kind of thing. So she actually uh, shadowed one of our clinical pharmacists um, where I did my residency uh, for like what two or three hours. Um, got a migraine and like never came back. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think emergency is uh, her spot. So what you know, a lot of our listeners are pharmacists. So what is the role you know, and what's your kind of interaction when you have pharmacists in the unit in emergency medicine because that's not something we typically think of as a pharmacist job yeah so how, what's your interaction with pharmacists in your profession like so your where i trained a uh, big academic center we had a, a clinical pharmacist in the ed itself so like three feet away was sitting a pharmacist so it'd be any question about you know whether it's is this the right motrin dose or <laughs> um you know antibiotic choices i would just bounce stuff off of them now it's you know i'm by myself nobody reviews my orders um so hopefully i'm picking the right stuff and then i think a pharmacist is eventually looking over you know antibiotic choices once the patient's admitted Uh, but i get a lot of phone calls from you know pharmacists you know at a community spot you know is is this the really the order that you wanted and i'm like well now that you mention it i don't i don't know (laughs) (laughs) is that is that like super frustrating because i mean you're obviously super busy especially when you're the only physician working on if you're at night yeah is that super annoying to have pharmacists call you do you ever get like just questions are like are you are you serious right now the, the hardest part, uh, probably, especially if it's a community spot that's calling us, um, is odds are the, the doctor that wrote the prescription that they have a question about is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So they have no idea what you know their thought process was, and they don't want to change someone else's plan. So usually I just say, yeah, just go with it, and you know, hopefully it works. Gotcha. So. Do you have one particular thing that you see more you know getting calls about as far as from pharmacists trying to confirm or like... You know, just as far as a problem that they want to clarify, is there anything that stands out in your mind? Uh, it's usually antibiotics mm-hmm. um, and whether they have, like, the f- formulation for it. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That would be the, the big thing. And then, obviously, you know, pain medication. You know, hey, did you script this person? Did, did you notice that, yeah. you know, five other doctors were in the same thing for the same day? So. How is that now kind of like mm-hmm. with things have been so – um, focused on opioids and everything and, and making sure that patients aren't abusing them. How is that affecting your life? Is it like added a huge work burden for you to have to go no, through it, PMP? It, the, uh, the system's like built into our um, medical record. So it's one click and it pulls up, you know, the entire uh, past medical gotcha. uh, record. So and I, I, I try not to write opiates for anything. Um, I mean, they happen. I, I probably, you know, see... 16 to 20 patients in an eight-hour shift and i can think of probably like one or two patients that i would send home on opiates gotcha hopefully not that many yeah so. is it do you have a lot of patients that are coming in like for opioids specifically or they they're coming there with the intention of i they may have a legitimate problem but they're looking to get opioids yeah yeah, yeah. all the time and it's it's usually a scenario the patient you know has a long history of of some sort of pain um, mm. that's been addressed by multiple doctors that have kind of quote unquote fired them from their practice. And so the only place they can really go is the emergency room. Gotcha. So, 
That's that's got to be tough because I mean I know we deal in a community pharmacy setting. We deal with a lot of them coming in and yeah. oh no, no no this doctor knows for sure that I'm taking both of these meds and from these other two doctors and yeah. it's uh it's definitely a problem sometimes. But I can only imagine too like you're the one that they're actually coming to like no please yeah yeah I mean it's it, it spirals out of control a lot of times. I mean the conversations never end well and they usually get mad and really even basically just refuse any like you know alternative treatment like Toradol or something. Mm. Like that, so. So it's not just us that get mad at them. No, so they no, actually yeah. get mad at you too. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it's, t- it's tough too because it comes from all sides, you know, because on the MTM side, we're calling patients that get flagged by insurance. And, you know, I can imagine being a patient, especially one who actually legitimately needs it, being frustrated, being questioned time time again, um, just, you know, given the certain situation. Yeah, right? for, sure. for sure. The best was when he came home one night and was like, you know, we had this patient and they came in and they said that the only thing that worked and treated their nausea was Dilaudid. <laughs> now I was like, okay, I don't know about that. Yeah, well. <laughs> I got some other tricks. <laughs> that, let's try something different. That's pretty funny. Yeah. The only thing that treats is Dilaudid. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, when he was kind of going through all this training stuff, I mean, obviously he's probably working ungodly hours. So, how was that for you as, the, as a newlywed and also in school? With two dogs. <laughs> yeah, jeez. Yeah. No, just kidding. They're a handful for real. But um, no, it. Uh, every month was different. There were some months that were better than others, either hour-wise or like just time off-wise or whatever. There were some months that were definitely harder than others. Um, but uh, I don't know. You yeah. just kind of work it out and just kind of grind it out. She handled it much better than I would have. Really? Sure. Yeah, she did really well. I don't know about that, but... So what about for you? How was that process of going through residency? I mean, you hear horror stories and how horrible... Is it what you kind of expected or was yeah. it... Yeah. yeah, especially early on. I mean, you have no like no clue how to be a doctor or interact with people. I mean, you sit in a classroom for four, four years and you basically lose all social skills. Yeah. So you kind of have to like relearn being in society the first like three or four months out of uh, med school. That's pretty um, funny. Kind of learn not to be a jerk anymore. So, yeah. yeah. How, how was that process as far as, you know, going from, when you finished medical school, did you feel super confident in like your knowledge? And did you, because like, I know for me, like when I finished pharmacy school, I thought I knew a ton. And then I, now I look back and go, I was like, wow, I cannot believe they gave me keys to a pharmacy. Yeah. It, I mean, you, you definitely do a lot of learning on the fly in residency, especially in emergency medicine, because you never know what's, you know, it's not like you can plan ahead for stuff. Um, I mean, med school, you, you know, my med school was fantastic. I felt like I learned a lot. Um, it prepared me to be very efficient, uh, competent doctor. Um, but there were a lot of times that, you know, I would show up and be like, well, I have no idea what to do. But, I mean, that's why you're in training. Right. So just, I guess you're not supposed to know how to deal with every situation. So. Do you think, is there situations still where even with all your training, like you'll run into and be like, what the heck? Oh yeah. 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 yeah every day. Uh, <laughs> like I have two computer screens. One's the, uh, uh, medical record and the other is usually Google. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, that, that's good because I think a lot of people leaving school, like they have this mindset of like, you know, I'm supposed to have all this knowledge and you talk to fourth years and they're frustrated because they don't know more. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I deal obviously with more pharmacy students and med students, but I know for the farm students they are, you know, getting yeah. frustrated with, Oh, I should know all this stuff. And I'm like, mm. there's just way too much. Than yeah. That. You got a long, much especially in pharmacy. I mean, there's an insane amount of detail that she studies. And I'm like, I, 
have never even heard of most of those words you're saying. <laughs> well, I mean, it's one of those things. I think we, uh, I think we have mutual respect because when I look at uh, the diagnostic aspects, I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, no idea. <laughs> I just wait for them to say this is what's wrong, and I can usually come up with some sort of pharmacotherapy plan. But uh, yeah, the diagnostic stuff I have a lot of respect for, yeah. especially after doing. Uh, you know, working with the PA students at the PA school, I, I mean, I realize how little I know about diagnostics. So that's, uh, it's cool. I like the collaborative. Um, I mean, do you feel like that's, that's beneficial as a physician, you know, um, you're obviously the head person in charge. Do you feel like it's beneficial to have, and I'm asking honestly, I don't care if you feel like, no, they suck. That's fine too. <laughs> I'm asking honestly, do you feel like it's beneficial to have a, a pharmacist or some of the, absolutely. like the PAs or nurse practitioners there with you as well, like collaborating? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I wish I still had a clinical pharmacist in the ED. Um, if nothing else, just to like confirm that, you know, my choices are being appropriate and the patient's getting the best care. Um, and we actually work with a lot of PAs as well. So they're, you know, they help us be more efficient and, you know, move patients through a little faster. So That's cool. Yeah. So what's your plan going forward? Are you thinking you're going to stay in emergency medicine? You want to teach? Do you want to? No, I, I just want to do community emergency medicine. Gotcha. Um, that way you get to do everything and you don't call other services to kind of handle your mm-hmm. own stuff. So I, I like, you know. Get to see a little bit of everything. Yeah. Never yeah. get bored. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, you know, I'm surprised the, uh, that you said you didn't like the inpatient side of things in emergency medicine anyway. Have you done some shadowing and whatnot with, like, AMCARE type stuff or other acute care settings that you that have interest you at all? I like it. I have a lot of respect for it. I just didn't want to – I just didn't see myself in the emergency room per se. Um, I don't feel like I could do what those guys do. Not that quick anyway. I just don't – maybe it comes, like, with experience and, like, confidence. Like, over time, maybe you're, like – you know, okay, this is what we're going to do, whatever. But I, I don't feel like I am anywhere near that level right now. So emergencies kind of like crossed off my list. Um, but yeah, like my hospital rotation this summer was really cool. I was um, just doing like adult inpatient stuff. And I, non clin spec wise, like I could definitely see myself doing, doing what those guys did. I loved, um, I did a midnight rotation. I loved the hours. I loved like what they got to do overnight. It was kind of a different um, perspective, I guess, than what, the daytime pharmacist or evening pharmacist get um so i could see myself in that realm just not in the ed gotcha do you um do you see yourself even if you don't go the clinical route and you want to do community you see yourself still doing like pgy run one residency or going doing the residency route just to get it out of the way or do you think you'd go straight into practice it's definitely on the table um and that's kind of something i'm like tossing back and forth every day because there's you know pros and cons mm-hmm. or whatever going both routes um, but yeah, definitely, definitely on the table. Good. That's cool. Yeah. I think that's, uh, that's, and I actually just did a podcast about this on, uh, do you, you listen to RX radio? Um, so I did a podcast with him and, uh, we brought this up about kind of being, I guess, self-aware on what you, which direction you need to go. And if you have expectations of going to these certain jobs at some point, like, knowing what that's going to take, whether you do a residency or not. Because a pharma- pharmacist is weird because you have that option. So it's easier and you make more money right off the bat not doing it. But then if you have aspirations of doing clinical work, you better be ready to do a give up those first few years as a pharmacist that's to training, keep yeah. going with your training because there's a lot more to, to learn. So, yeah, that's um, – for those of you who want to hear that one, check out his uh, podcast. It's available now. Um, but uh, Quick plug. Quick plug for my buddy Rich. No, but um, yeah, I think that's a that's a huge, I guess, talking point now with between pharmacy schools because I think I 
believe like retail pharmacy isn't really going to look the same, um, especially the big chains. I, I just don't think they innovate quick enough to get to where they need to go. Um, now, somebody like independents, like my buddy Blake here, I think that uh, if something he sees something happen, like Amazon buying up PillPack, and he can make moves and innovate and stuff very quickly without having to go to a board of directors. So um, I think the independents will be good. But I think pharmacy is changing big time. And I'm always fascinated to see kind of if people are keeping that in their radar as students, because I think it's easy to get bogged down in all the stuff you have to learn and not necessarily thinking 10 years out as a pharmacist. But um, do you feel like the, the schools are kind of pushing residency or do they feel like they're indifferent? How do you feel like is just what's your sense from like being in the mix of it right now? At least where I'm at, uh, being at MUSC and pharmacy school, 100%, I feel like there is a huge, huge focus on um, at least considering a residency, not that they want to push it on every single student because mm-hmm. I don't think residency is for everyone. Um, but there is definitely a, a huge push for this needs to at least be in your back pocket. Um, and like you said, just kind of thinking long term. Um, and that's it's kind of interesting you're saying that because I, I'm 23 now, but I started. You're working, only 23 years old. Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I started working in pharmacy the week I turned 17. Like the independent I was talking about, they couldn't hire me because I was 16, and so I had to wait oh the two weeks gosh. and come back. Child labor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So She's I. Very um, <laughs> so I came back, but I mean, this uh, December will be seven years total that I worked in retail, um, which is a freaking long time in my opinion just because I, I, I feel like it's a long time because I've seen so much and I've seen so many changes and so I definitely didn't see pharmacy going like seven years ago the way it's gone and so I can only imagine what it's going to do in another seven years mm-hmm. so yeah like Mike was saying there's tons of opportunities and I'm on my third rotation for P4 right now and just just seeing some of the things that some of my preceptors have been involved in as far as within their independent pharmacies um, I mean, it's just super broad, especially with the moves that Amazon's making as far as pill pack goes and our future possible role as independent pharmacists, I think it's exciting. So, yeah, yeah, lots of the future things. is bright. Yeah, absolutely. Marissa, somebody's saying hi to you on Instagram, saying that you used to work together at that independent. And- hi. <laughs> and while we're at shout outs, shout out to Dylan Hamilton. <laughs> the kid um, has watched every podcast and is a huge fan of yours. So he... Um, bribe me quite a bit that's know. awesome <laughs> dylan what's up get dude a, uh, a shout out so <laughs> dylan when are we gonna hang out man <laughs> we gotta get you in the podcast but um yeah no that, that's cool and, and i think it's one of those things that you know I, I like that musc is pushing so hard for kind of getting out and seeing what all is out there because i i think that so many pharmacy students you know there is so many different opportunities and we're still kind of like learning our place so to speak um i think that uh I'm glad that MUSC is pushing like the career mentoring and whether or not, you know, I know all the students don't necessarily like it, but I do think it's a good, good idea to kind of see what else out there and make, it makes you explore kind of all the different options. I think that's important, especially going forward. A lot of, a lot of innovative stuff happening. And that's kind of what I think is so cool about vet medicine. I mean, every time I've like brought it up since taking that elective and someone's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, Oh, you know, I think vet's really cool. They're like vet. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I mean, even if like um, someone gets like a prescription at, you know, their local pharmacy, there are so many people that don't even realize like Walgreens and CVS and whatever. Those people fill medications all the time for pets. And I think 
I don't know. There's just so much to pharmacy that, that you don't know. So that ex- exploration is, is hugely important. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the vet thing is interesting because I feel like people don't realize, even some drugs like meloxicam, they're like, well, no, no, that's a, that's a, that's for my dog, so you wouldn't have it back there. But like, no, Mox Camp's for humans. They're like, mm. well, no, I promise it is. <laughs> but they can well, take Fido it. takes it every week. I've yeah, yeah. known about that one for a while. The only time it's actual horse pills is when you're dealing with veterinary medicine. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to do that? Uh, what, what company is that? Um, PowerPack CE? They have that vet med certificate. Have you looked at their stuff at all? Somewhat, yeah, yeah. And there, um, there's some residencies for vet, too. Not many. There's like three. Um, Where are those at? Do you know? It's uh, UC UC Davis, your uh, Berkeley, somewhere in California. Okay. <laughs> somewhere in the great state of California, um, NC State and Purdue, I believe. Oh, cool. So that's pretty awesome. So I mean, is that like is that something you're definitely considering? I mean, one hundred percent. Oh man. <laughs> I bought the um the Plum's Guide, like the big like veterinary <laughs> book, and so like in my spare time, I'm like. So what is uh, meloxicam doing Fido? You know, <laughs> so or like cats Slight or whatever. Slight, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, light beach reading yeah. material. It's super handy though because we get vet prescriptions all the time, and I mean, unless you call the vet or you like have some sort of resource or something like that to like look up, you don't know if a dose is appropriate. I mean, I, I sure as heck don't no. know. So I know <laughs> it, Benadryl. Nice. That's about it. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's definitely nice. It gives you a little bit more confidence in like what you're doing at least. Um, especially if you can't get in touch with a vet so yeah that's pretty cool i i've i've never i always forget that like there are pharmacists that are involved in veterinary medicine i think that's i mean definitely a uh pretty crazy innovative role to get in as a as a uh, pharmacist i i i mean i love like reptiles and things like that it's like big snakes and stuff i would love to get involved with something like that like the aquarium i just don't know anything about it so they're probably not gonna hire me <laughs> But um, no, that's pretty cool. The uh, is it a PGY two residency? Is it like one two years to get through the vet program? That's a good question. I'm pretty sure NC State it's two years. Uh, the other programs specifics I don't know. Gotcha. Really on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, Russ, what what is your like? Um, I guess plan of attack with, with medicine changing as rapidly as it does. I mean, there's been like 80 new drugs that came out yesterday, so um, not really. But like if you know, with it changing so rapidly, what, as a physician, what is your sort of like plan of attack to keep up with everything, stay current? Cause that's one of the things I think a lot of people struggle with is yeah. once they get to a certain spot, it's like, well, I'm tired when I go home, I'm trying to read journals. Yeah. So, well, I mean, the good thing about, you know, medicine is you're required to have, you know, certain amount of hours of CME every year. And a lot of that can be spent on new stuff. So reading journals, answering those little like rinky-dink questions in the back of the journals is, is certainly something that would you know qualify for cme so i think that would probably be, be my plan and we we actually have a lot of drug reps that come into the ed you wouldn't think that they would show up there but trying to you know at least educate us about new products that's cool so, yeah. what about you Marissa? have you been uh do you have a plan kind of going forward for continuing your education are you still doing is there anything outside besides vet i guess med is there anything outside of like your normal curriculum that has you interested right now uh that's a good question um so i guess just because it's something i like personally struggle with like the whole like migraine neurologic kind of like aspect of uh, medicine is super interesting to me um but yeah, which is why I'm excited for this year because I think we're going to get a lot of the like psych neuro type stuff, especially the fall semester in pharmacotherapy. Um, 
so that's kind of where I'm at with like other interests besides vet. As far as like going forward, though, um, these core console RX podcasts are uh, <laughs> on the list. But other than that, yeah, I, I don't know. And that's something that I try to ask every pharmacist that I uh, talk to is, you know, what what do you do to stay current? Because I know in my first year pharmacy school, you were saying like, you know, go on drugs.com and sign up for those emails. I love those emails because every new drug, you know, that comes out, which I mean, there's like 80 a day, like you were saying, mm-hmm. I mean, it, there's always some kind of plug about it. Or, um, I know like one thing that I saw this summer was the new warning for the, um, aura gel in uh, people less than two. And so, um, that was something that like, I was working with the pharmacist the next day and I'd seen it on drugs.com and I was like, Oh, have you heard about this? And he was like, no. And I was like, well, you have someone under two in your house. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just stuff like that. Just anyway, any little like plug like that, I think is, is helpful. Yeah. I'm definitely a big fan of like automating the process and like having the emails come to you instead of having to like go search through literature. I think I gave a talk like that for Dr. Ward. Actually, he uh, let me go on his, uh, his evidence-based medicine update. Um, seminar thing that he did the, the conference it was like three days long so i had like all these like really high level physicians and then you know freaking me so that was that was funny but um i got to talk you know about staying up to date and staying current and I, that's what the big thing that i push is like using the technology that we have available now to like get those journal articles and stuff sent to you so you're not having to like go search things out um i think that's a really important process of you know staying current um what uh what do you think, either one of y'all, what, what's y'all's thoughts on this? Because I, and I've talked about this with several people on the podcast, but I'm, I'm a big believer in that social media um, and, you know, podcasting, Alexa, voice, things like that um, is going to be the next wave of like our generation, pharmacist, physician, PA, nurse practitioner, whatever, is using to kind of like not only network and like meet other healthcare professionals, but also learn and collaborate and things like that. How do you guys feel? feel about that if you've given it much thought at all do you hate it <laughs> yeah so we actually in residency we would um we would have you know four hours a week of like in classroom time and then the like the last hour of uh of the week learning wise we would have to do some form of like either online learning podcast something like that so we actually kind of integrated that into our curriculum and i think most programs in the country require you to listen to a pretty standard podcast really yeah i didn't realize that that's awesome yeah it's actually uh it's just again because not everybody you know learns from staring at a powerpoint screen all day every day right um so listening to a podcast on your own whether it's you know driving to work or you know wherever it's was it was it like journal summary podcasts or more specific kind of um you know area specific yeah they would have uh you know journal like three or four journals that they would review every month Uh, but a lot of them were just you know core content um you know review boards board you know style questions that they would go over um and then a lot of it was new ways of either diagnosing or treating problems what about you, Marissa? Do you like that, I guess, medium for connecting yeah. and, like, learning and stuff? Yeah, absolutely. And I've seen, um, I know you do it. A few other people that I follow on Snapchat will, like, post random questions. Mm-hmm. I love that um, just because it's such a quick, I mean, it takes two seconds to read it and answer. And sometimes, like, 
you know, we haven't even gone over that material, but I'm like, oh, let me just guess and say, anyway, just to, because I want to know what the answer is. Like, you know, I may not have a freaking clue, but like just to have that like in your back pocket, that and um, like the guys on Instagram, like the cardiology on call, like mm-hmm. cardiology is the hardest thing in the world for me. I don't know why, um, but I hate it. <laughs> so, um, I, so I follow all these like cardiology pages and, and I like those little like quizzes and stuff like that because it forces me to take five or 10 minutes to look at it or, you know, try to learn something. So, yeah, that's awesome. Do you, do you use the Snapchat questions that I post sometimes? Oh, 100%. And it's so nice. Cause like half the time they do correlate with like what we're doing and it's like, well, this is going to be on the test tomorrow. A, <laughs> you know? So yeah. Do, uh, do you, how, how do you feel about the, uh, the new smoke, uh, that comes up off the fingerprint when you change screens? Are you a huge fan of that? Huge fan. Huge fan. That was, that was Blake over here's idea. He was like, you know what would be cool? <laughs> Mike took it and ran. <laughs> it, I, it was I, a puff of smoke originally. Now I think it's like an ex, it's an actual explosion, right? Yeah, Is there sound? Like that. Is there sound? The, I took the sound off because you made fun of me for okay. the sound. All right. Well, well like, she liked it though. You so. were like, the sound is too much. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was wrong. Uh-huh. Well, so you hate, hating on it and you had me feeling self-conscious about the sound. <laughs> bring it back. Try it again. All right. We're going to bring it, it back. I'm thinking lasers too this time. Maybe. The Snapchat questions have gone so far off of what they're supposed to be there for the question. <laughs> and they're just more about graphic design now. <laughs> yeah, it's gotten out of hand. But we'll see. I, that was, I literally sat there and thought forever about what I could use Snapchat for. Because I don't really use Snapchat as, you know, for my own personal. I don't really don't use Instagram for my personal life either. But um, even though that's my biggest platform for my core console. But um you know, I, I was sitting there trying to figure out what I could use Snapchat for. So when I thought about the fact you can switch over, you know, to the other screen, like we could do questions on this. And then one of the uh, one of my students, April uh, Driscoll, said she she's like, you should put a thumbprint and then like on there so that you actually have to click on the screen and it looks like you're sending it over. And then from there, we just ran with it. Yeah, Mike just absorbs ideas from everybody and it slowly grows as a community. That's right. Kind of- I just steal ideas from my students. Yeah, obviously. That's why he takes students. That's exactly. Exactly. And then I'm like, get out. I'm keeping your idea. Oh, geez. Okay. Um, so, we, you know, we mentioned opioids earlier. I do want to go through, just so that uh, it's not just us chit-chatting, but um, I want to go through some of the opioids, um, some of the common opioids you would see, and we'll talk about some of the pharmacology. We won't go real in-depth today, but if you guys are cool with uh, going yeah. through some of that. Um, let me ask, uh, Ross, let me ask you as a, as a physician, how, if you have someone coming into the ED, let's say, you know, they need a pain medication, how do you go about and selecting, do you have a formula you have to follow? Does it change depending on the patient? It's just random. It's whatever, you know, if you want just straight oxycodone, you could do that. If you want Norco, you could do that, Percocet, whatever. Gotcha. Do you have any like, like thing that you're looking for specifically, like between like oxycodone you know, hydromorphone, oxymorphone, things like that. Do you have anything in particular that you're looking for that would like make somebody a candidate for one or not the other? Or is it really uh, just kind of I mean, whatever? If, if, they are, if, if they're like an older patient with renal disease, I never give morphine. Mm-hmm. Um, just because it takes forever for them to clear and they have to sit in the ED forever. Yeah. Um, but other than that, no, I, I don't think too, too much about it. Too much it. about it. Yeah. Um, what about you, Marissa? Have you gone that, through the pain That med? might be the wrong answer, but no, that's fine. I mean, that's I, I want honesty because yeah. I mean, we can talk all day about like theory, but I want to hear from practitioners who are yeah. actually in there. I don't work in emergency medicine, so I'm not making recommendations on pain meds. Yeah. Um. So I, I mean, that's there's a lot of things that we talk about on paper and you know yeah. in theory, but it's not practical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious. I'm always curious to see how it's done in the real world if I'm not involved with it. What about you, Balake? You got any uh? 
Any I'm thoughts? just wondering. I'm wondering from you. Do you use any sort of pain scale? I don't. Is that even applicable applicable anymore? As far as like a one to ten? I mean, so every nurse, I mean, it's it's kind of like a core like mm-hmm. quality measure in the emergency room that if if you're in pain, we document what it is when you show up and after pain medication, did it improve? Because that's part of our reimbursement. I don't. I never ask a number because it's all relative. I mean, everyone's a ten. I mean, when they walk in, right. you know, whether they stub their toe or they're having a heart attack, it's always a 10. Right. So that's kind of irrelevant to me. Um, if you have pain and it's sort of legit and I'm getting a good vibe from you, I'll, you know, I'll treat you appropriately. Um, but if it's a 10 and it's been a 10 your entire life, you're probably yeah. not going to get too much. There was a comedian, I think it was Louis C.K., there was a comedian that he said, uh, he goes, he was talking about somebody asking him that, the ED, the doctor asked him what his pain you know, level was. He's like 10. He goes, who comes here and is like, I'm two, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. go home now. Yeah. Actually, young people, when they show up, like, you know, breaking their ankle or whatever, younger people, for whatever reason, always like low ball. Well, want to be tough yeah. about it. Yeah. No, it's a five. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's, I don't even feel it. I yeah. break my ankle all the time. Like your bone's little, little actually ice. sticking out of your skin right hey, now. No, can, res- respect. <laughs> I love it. Respect. Yeah. Yeah. They're not about to admit the fact that they're in pain. Yeah. Oh, man. High school. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that's that's cool. Yeah, um, where do you want to start? I'll let you call it today. you have any thoughts? Um, so you said mostly opioids. Is that what you want to talk about yeah, more? You kind of we can talk about whatever. I don't care. Okay. But I mean, that's where I was going. I just thought with uh, you, you know talk pain. about gout. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't go that far out. Oh, okay, but, gotcha. You know, I, I think it's important to kind of uh, determine what type of pain it is for first, because that can determine determine your treatment options as far as neuropathic versus nociceptive. Um, and then, you know, even broader than that, cancer versus non-cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure how much of that you see, you know, one or the other. Um, but again, can kind of really, really weigh in on your options. You say it's kind of random, but you know, all of that's in the, in the back of your head. Um, so I think that's a good place to start. What about, um, sickle cell patients? Do you have any of them coming in sickle cell crises? So where I trained, it was a very common complaint. Um, and for whatever reason, opiates were kind of the, the go-to drug there. Mm -hmm. Um, we would try to branch out with, you know, insects like Toradol or mm-hmm. even some docs were branching into ketamine. Hmm. Um, but their, their, their specialists would prefer us to treat them with opiates. Gotcha. Where I'm at now, we don't, we don't see a whole lot of patients with sickle cell. Really? Yeah. The, uh, what's your thoughts on ketamine? Do you see that very often or do you, are you against it? I mean, I know some people have started you yeah. know, using it more frequently, but so I don't, I don't use it for pain. I use it, use it for agitation and mm-hmm. somebody comes in hot and it's, it's, kind of caught you know tough to calm them down we'll we'll give them some of that um and then i use it for pediatric sedation hmm. other, yeah. other than that I, I don't use ketamine a whole lot gotcha to come in agitated and get some special k yeah make them feeling yeah. right yeah and actually the uh, ems uh, folks around town are usually the one that you know light them up with ketamine really that. then we have to babysit them for like four hours <laughs> so, yeah. oh man that's that's intense yeah um, so I guess I'm going to mention some of the, uh, the new, uh, oxycodone formulations just to, in case you guys listen and haven't heard of some of these, um, cause there's a lot of the, uh, oxycodone formulations that have come out that have been supposedly abuse deterrent. Um, so we have things like, uh, um, z- let's see, Zytamza, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, there's Oxido, there is... Targinic, there is um, Roxybond, 
Uh, there's a whole bunch of new medications that have come out that have had this abuse deterrent put in there. Um, I think uh, morphine, there's a morphobond, I believe. I'm trying to find it in here. Um, yeah, morphobond is one of them. I know that. But there's um, a couple others as well. And I think, you know, the big, I guess, caveat with those is if you're going to write for one, um, knowing whether or not the insurance is going to pay for it. Because most insurance companies that I've seen still won't, yeah, won't pay for them. Um, I like the idea behind them, but then the company charges $800 for 30 oxycodone yeah. and it's like, well, yeah. you're, you're, you're fighting the good fight against the opioid, uh, epidemic, but that's an expensive you know, alternative. Um, what's your thoughts on like tramadol as opposed to using a, like a true opioid? True opioid. Um, I mean, I, I, I put a lot of like older patients on tramadol, um, for whatever reason it. I don't think it's as sedating, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. um, so I use it every now and then for them. Um, but I don't write uh, tramadol. It's, it's usually a prescription too much. Gotcha. There, I actually, uh, if, I forget the exact percentage of patients, but um, if you look at like the package and certain stuff, it actually will um, causes insomnia in some patients, which I thought was interesting. So we always think opioids is like putting you out. Yeah. But um, and tramadol is a little weird like that. So I don't know if that's the more the neurotransmitter side mm -hmm. of tramadol. Um, or what, but um, for just some general information, if you are going to use tramadol, um, we got to think about seizure risk. It may not be super prevalent, but um, it is definitely a risk. And so, if somebody has a uh, history of seizures um, or you know have had recent head trauma or something like that, you definitely would want to use some caution. Um, there's also risk of serotonin syndrome because it has like this uh, sort of mixed mechanism of action. You'd have a you know you have your mu opioid receptor agonist activity but you also are getting activity um, blocking serotonin and norepinephrine as well and um, you know because of the serotonin component you're blocking the reuptake of that serotonin then you do have to consider other medications that are dealing with serotonin as well so if a patient comes in let's say they're doing you know citalopram or something like that for their depression they're on maybe Trazodone or something else that are on amitriptyline for their migraines, and the next thing you know, you're giving them tramadol on top of it, and it could be um, could be potentially an issue. I, I don't, you know, it's something that probably you wouldn't see, but if you're on multiple medications, you definitely increase your chances of it. Um, and then, uh, like one of the things I was talking to my PA students today was about uh, when we're going through osteoarthritis right now. And one of the uh, recommendations for like knee osteoarthritis would be uh, duloxetine, but that's as a second line agent. But you're getting um, tramadol a lot of times is you know potentially one of the first line agents. So using caution since duloxetine at lower doses especially has um, high serotonin activity. So it's thinking about the other meds that they're on and not combining unnecessarily. Um, and uh, also Nucenta, because that's one we don't really see too often. Do you ever use that one for any no. reason? Um, that one also has um, norepinephrine activity as well, um, serotonin activity. So the same kind of thing. You have to watch for serotonin syndrome um, if there are multiple meds. Um, and then it's I've heard it's one of those drugs that if the patient is having um, like certain types of like pain due from like some sort of a back injury or something that could affect the nerves this you know they've tried like oxycodone or uh, hydromorphone it's not working this may be something to consider um, because it has that neurotransmitter that that nerve component um, that may may help there's not great evidence for it but um, they have tried to prove that out it's just kind of mixed results with the data what else Blake 
So you're, you keep bringing up, you know, um, kind of concomitant, concomitant conditions and, and medications. Um, I don't think you talked about as far as like sedating, you kind of went into some other stuff, you know, to consider, um, going through some MTM stuff. That's, that's something that comes up a lot as far as, you know, if they're on a benzo, if they're on, could be anticholinergic, all sorts of stuff that, that could cause problems, especially in elderly people. Um, something to watch out for. Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk real quick, I guess, about um, switching from one opioid to the next. If you're going to switch them and change the medications up, um, you know, and that could be like IV in the hospital and then they're leaving outpatient, they're getting a PO regimen to go home on. Um, it is important to kind of know how to calculate that dose. Um, and so, you know, let's say, for example, um, you know, they were going to go from hydromorphone IV to morphine. Um, you would need to look up the conversion because there's there's a set conversion from um, hydromorphone that has they had the IV conversion and the PO conversion. Um, and then you would have to do some math to figure out exactly how much your total daily dose of one um, would be with like, let's say hydromorphone, how much total milligrams are getting. And then you would convert that to the morphine separated appropriately as far as dosing intervals. And then um, the big thing would be to, to drop the dose a little bit down. Usually they say drop it to 75%, so a 25% reduction. Um, if you look at like hospice, things like that, they usually drop it 50%. And then they'll use like another 5 to 17% of the, the original dose is sort of like this breakthrough pain regimen until you can work your way back up. Um, that way we're not converting them one-to-one and the person responds better to one and not the other. And next thing you know, we're putting in somebody in respiratory depression because of uh some bad math so um definitely use a true like um vetted um conversion chart don't just google something real quick (laughs) up to date has a great one um companies like that so definitely uh beware um methadone is not one that you want to be converting like that it's got for basically first order and first order or zero order and first order kinetic properties. So you have to be really careful with that. Um, fentanyl is another one. Um, you need to be really careful with switching. It's much more potent than the other opioids. So you'd want to use specifically like the converting, um, dose that's given in the package insert. They can show They will show you how to switch from one, uh, to the other and it's in the fentanyl package insert so use some caution with that don't just assume and then always drop the dose down and have narcan by the bed right yes yeah. <laughs> narcan by bedside i remember uh dr lapointe would always say that and narcan at bed it's <laughs> my favorite drug for sure yeah quick question about the fentanyl for you because i've heard um different people say different things so like with the patches they're the 72 hour regimen usually mm-hmm. you switch them out or whatever and they always say like you know take one patch off and and put another one on but then i've i've heard like i guess two schools of thought with that so like one of them would be if you leave one on and you put another one on then you're getting more fentanyl than you thought but then the other thought is that well after 72 hours all or most of the medication is gone do you know like how much or if any is is left i guess like after three full days mm. i would have to look and see if the package insert has i don't know off the top of my head to be totally honest with you um what let me i'm pulling up the kinetic profile right now um the thing about those patches they have more medication than can just to drive the medication into the skin you know that there's still yeah there's still some coming out after after that time but it's you know really reduced yeah but i'm not sure the answer either i I mean i personally wouldn't probably wouldn't want someone to 
keep one on and put the other one on while they're taking. I don't think. I just think that that's too risky, and you just never know. And that I feel like the risk doesn't outweigh the benefit of maybe like an, an hour or so being uncomfortable. I was thinking more like if you forgot, not like advertising to like use multiple patches, but it. I, I don't know. I just I've heard both like things like you know take it off and whatever I, more or less i was just like well, what if someone forgot <laughs> switched up their site or something like that i don't know uh, i mean i definitely think that if you're using so you're saying they forget to take the old one off and put the new one on i mean i, I mean if they forget they forget hopefully they're okay narcan by bedside. Uh, exactly <laughs> narcan at the house you know, they hit the uh, nasal spray they got everything now um the thing just go to the pharmacy and get so you know i think that those are important counseling points to talk to patients with, you know, making sure that they're not just leaving these patches laying around, that they're closing them up appropriately and, and discarding of them appropriately so that nobody else is touching them. I think we don't, it's hard for us to kind of see a patch and recognize that that's truly like medicine because we always think of, you know, syst- like topical effects from a patch or a cream or something. We don't think of the systemic effects that fentanyl has with it, um, you know, and then talking to patients about heating packs and things like that. Heating packs and fentanyl patches do not mix. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know any, like, good data or anything off the top of my head, to be totally honest. I'd have to look. Do you, um, do you, how often do you see people coming in with fentanyl patches and, like, you know, needing to convert them like that? Yeah, every now and then you'll see them, um, especially in, like, overdose scenarios. Mm-hmm. Kind of have to search the patient for those things i was gonna um, say that's yeah. probably a big issue like someone comes in altered and you have no idea what's going on the first thing you do is just take all the clothes off and there's probably a patch somewhere hmm. um especially if they respond to narcan um but i mean every now and then you'll see like a, a, a patient who has you know either cancer or some other form of like chronic pain coming in with fentanyl patch um and so the first thing i always try to do is like take that off so we're not like you know, adding extra opiates to their kind of scenario. Yeah. What, um, what about someone that's coming in? Um, let's say, uh, they're being treated for like opioid dependence and, um, you know, they come in and they're on like buprenorphine or especially like the, the new extended release injectable buprenorphine, the, um, sublocade. Um, what's, what is your thought process as far as if you have a, medication that's blocking i guess the mu receptors from being able to bind do you have to just give larger doses um i mean would that be an opportunity to use ketamine possibly to override that yeah so i actually had that same scenario the other night a guy like fell on his hand like had a distal radius fracture and he was on um some chronic meds like that and so i didn't want to like load him up with opiates so i actually um just used a little low dose propofol um Mm. whenever i was like reducing his uh his injury gotcha um and after i figured out it wasn't like a surgical scenario i mean toradol um, is appropriate in that setting too gotcha there's there's ways around it i mean obviously the patient probably doesn't receive as much benefit from toradol as as an opiate but yeah if it's clinically wrong to give them that then we're kind of stuck yeah yeah for sure that's um that was one of the first thoughts i had because when that sublucade came out there was um, there, one of the studies that lo- they looked at when they were getting it approved, they compared it to um, hydromorphone, like when they gave a dose of hydromorphone to see its effect, and there was like no difference between giving that versus placebo because the sublocate was blocking it. And I remember thinking like, oh, geez, what if that person gets in a car accident? Yeah. And it was a good dose of, hyd- of hydromorphone. It was like 
you know, eight or 10 milligrams or something like that, if I remember correctly. So I guess you'd have to uh, go around about with it. That's, I didn't think about propofol either. That's a, that's another good thought. How long does that last? For the Mm -hmm. Um, I would, I can't remember what it was. It's like a month, I think. Um, I can't remember how long the duration is. You'd think I would know that since I brought it up. Sorry to put you on the spot. No, it's all good. I'll, I'll, I'll take my. Uh, I'll admit when I don't know something, it's all good. There's a lot of things I don't know actually. I use Lexicom quite often. Um, let's see. I don't know. We'll find it in a second. What else? What else can we talk about? Blake, you got anything else you want to mention about opioids? Um, not about opioids in in specifics. I had, uh, you know, I'd kind of looked at more of the ladder up of, of pain treatment, you know, starting with non-pharmacologic, working your way through through NSAIDs and stuff, depending on the type, like I said, to begin with, depending on neuropathic or, or nociceptive, um, but but nothing really, you know, opioid specific. So what about if it's neuropathic? What's everyone's go-to for that? I usually start gabapentin and get their PCP to titrate it up. Gotcha. Yeah. What, what's your starting dose for gabapentin? Because I, I hear a lot of people starting kind of all over the place. What's your typical? Uh, if they're like an older person, I might go like 100 BID. Yeah. If they're like, you know, pretty functional younger person, 100 TID. TID. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, how often do you see like patients like going, I mean, because a lot of patients are on just crazy high doses of gabapentin. How, how often do you see them getting titrated up that, that high yeah. pretty often? I mean, I'll, I'll see some people like, you know, especially if they're really bad diabetic, you know, 800 TID. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's like. I don't know what else to do. I'm not like pushing check this your up. B12. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Good Especially point. if they're a diabetic, yeah. check that metformin uh, B12. B12. Yeah. And they kind of want me to, you know, increase, and I'm like, this is not, yeah, my job. I mean, not. Yet. I mean, no, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, because you want to I mean, s- Yeah, I can't follow you up. So I mean, anything past like hundred right. is, I mean kind of a risk for me to yeah take. for sure because so, you're not going to see what yeah what they're going from there um what about uh is there any reason for you in your setting do you ever start anybody on lyrica as opposed to gabapentin um i can't say that i have okay what about duloxetine have you been using that at all mm. no. okay i like to keep it simple i hear you i don't, no. I don't like to think too much <laughs> I love a, res- a friend res- of mine respect a friend of mine I, I brought this up last night that we we may be talking about pain today and she's actually on a pain management rotation and was mentioning at the VA that, um, you know, Lyrica is not on formulary, so you have to, you know, try gabapentin first, which is probably probably pretty common, you know, situation just work, working your way up from there. But Yeah. And uh, how's gabapentin work, Blake? Do you remember? It's a calcium channel. Excellent calcium channels, right? Yeah. Blocks the, what is it, the alpha 2 delta subunit, L-type calcium channel. I don't know. I always hear Dr. Work quote that, and for some reason, I just think it's funny. So I always, <laughs> I'll ask my students that too. A little quiz. Because they'll ask. Uh, most people will say it works on GABA because the the name. And I'm like, no, no, no. It might decrease the effects of GABA. It doesn't work directly on GABA. But anyways, um, what else? Anything else we need to go over? I know that was a pretty short one, but I wanted to kind of uh, hear about these two. So. Not as much clinical stuff today. It's okay. Yeah, it, was a, it was a good chat at the beginning. There's yeah. a lot more with pain to touch on as far as we said, you know, non-pharmacologic stuff. And didn't really talk about NSAIDs at all or anything like that. Um, but, you know, what we what we said about opioids and, and some neuropathic pain stuff is, is valuable. So Cool. 
All right, guys. Well, I appreciate you doing this with us. Yeah, thanks yeah, for, thanks having, for us having us. Absolutely. And uh, Marissa, will uh, kind of you'll have to keep us in touch as you're going through rotations and stuff. And then, um, yeah, that'd be cool. Sounds good. We'll use you as our uh, student kind of spokesperson. We don't have one of those other than Blake right now, so he'll be graduated soon. Plus, nobody wants to hear from him anyway. So <laughs> so boring. <laughs> and you have to you have to preference soon. Preferences are coming up, right? Or is that I think in a couple that's, of months? Uh, do in October or something like that. Better start so. thinking. Better start looking. Yeah. Be pretty cool. Yep. And then if uh, you hopefully you don't get stuck with uh, me for a month like Blake did. <laughs> <laughs> Misery. <laughs> have to have to follow my schedule for until I get tired. Oh man, it was good. I miss you, Blake. Glad you're back. Stuff. Glad it you're back on the podcast. Good stuff. Long days, but but did a lot, and I'm clearly still around. So I must have liked some of it. I guess so. so. I gave him twenty bucks to stick around, so I look cool. Nice. All right, y'all. Well, thank you so much. And uh, everyone listening, appreciate it. And we will catch you guys next time. See ya.